Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. If you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, to teach. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet, Jim Kramer. The stock market, it's had an incredible run this year. Yet two-thirds of Americans say they're not experiencing any benefits from it. How the heck is that possible? According to this Financial Times Peter Peterson Foundation poll, only 14, 14% of families own stocks outright, meaning the market's creating all this wealth for the few, not the many. 60% of Americans don't even know that stocks are up for the year, and they've advanced 24%. So after a sedate day with Dow gained 28 points, this would be advanced 0.15%. NASDAQ climbed 0.05%. Let's talk about what the heck is going on here. And I think it's actually a lot more complicated than simple ignorance. The first reason why people who can afford to own stocks are sitting on the sidelines earning very little. The disastrous NASDAQ bear market at the turn of the century impoverished a whole generation of individual investors who got burned by chasing, yes, the hottest stocks imaginable. When the dot-com crash hit, it spelled the end to what we used to call the greatest story ever told, the public's love with love affair with stocks. I know. Hey, look, I, I was part of it. I started the street.com in 1995, immediately found hundreds of thousands of people with a thirst for any investing knowledge to level the playing field between the rich and the not-so-rich. At the top, we had valuations that were through the roof, with unsustainable and even fraudulent companies being pumped out by the hundreds by investment banks. It was a travesty. No one protected the public, and many individuals lost so much money that they swore they'd never come back. But half a dozen years later, investors started wading back in, and that's when they got hit with the financial crisis. And once again, people lost gigantic sums of money as huge institutions simply vanished. I think the one-two punch of the dot-com crash and the financial crisis alienated millions of potential shareholders. Oh, and the flash crashes of 2010 and 2015 sure didn't help. And that's when hundreds of billions of dollars were lost in minutes because the machines that control the market went haywire. People feel like the whole asset class is rigged against them. Like, you just don't have a level playing field between the fast-trading hedge funds and the hapless poor individual investors. The second indignity? 
Individual investors lost all their champions, both on Wall Street and Washington. It wasn't always like that. 20 years ago, I used to tag team with Dick Grasso. He's the former CEO of the New York Stock Exchange. We'd speak to throngs of people about the greatness of owning a piece of a company. Throughout his long tenure at the exchange, Dick was a tireless promoter of long-term investing in individual great American companies. His main goal. He wanted people to make money over the long haul by owning the stocks of companies they like. We used to call it owning a piece of America, and we loved it. Back then, there was a real sense that a rising tide lifts all boats. We didn't hear tons of stories about CEOs making billions while the workers get nickel and dime. Still, the important thing is that individual investors did used to have a champion at the top. Then Grasso subsequently retired in 2003 after some public outcry about his pay package. I got to tell you, he was worth it. But the next thing you know... A true champion of the little guy had departed from the scene. And since then, no one has taken up Dick Grasso's mantle. Maybe it was a business decision to avoid linking institutions to a weakened, disgraced asset class that they wanted to run from. Maybe it was the headlong Russian index funds that made it so only a piece of America became a relic, a thing of the past. Maybe it's the joke of having hundreds of ETFs that lose people money, buying the latest and greatest through faux diversification, or those miserable double and triple juiced ETFs that separate fools from their money on a daily basis. Yep, we used to have leaders who championed owning individual companies. Now we have nobody, or at least nobody with any power. When you throw in all the scandals, all the chicanery, and the complete lack of punishment for the executives who nearly brought down this economy and this country during the Great Recession, it's easy for bearish commentators to grab the microphone. It doesn't matter if they've been consistently wrong about the stock market. This is a cynical era, people, where saying anything negative makes you sound smart. If you say something smart and it, something goes down... And they play it on YouTube, you look like an idiot. They're, these permanent bears, they have a real outsized voice. And something we know thanks to Michael Semblist. He's the chairman of market and investment strategy at J.P. Morgan. He's been doing some incredible high-quality work on what he calls the Armageddonists. These are commentators and money managers who do an amazing job of scaring you out of stocks into bonds, usually at the worst possible moment. They give no credit to the CEOs who build and manage incredible companies like an Apple or Microsoft, Amazon. For them, it's all doom and gloom. They're all famous. When I saw the names, the Armageddonists, I know every one of them. The media is not much better. Semblis' latest piece has a remarkable bar graph titled, The Medium is the Message, Relative Reporting of Positive Economic News on Select Cable Programs, end quote. And it turns out there's almost no reporting whatsoever about positive economic news. My jaw dropped when I saw that it was last on the list of stories that these cable networks covered. It's, I, I wish I could share it with you. It's a J.P. Morgan piece of research. It, 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 it's, it, it's stunning. Now, of course, I should have known bad news gets better ratings than good news. I only get contacted by the national broadcasters and they want someone to talk about how terrible things are and why you should panic. It's painful. It's wrong. You think the world's ending, but actually things are pretty good. So I can't really blame people for failing to recognize how much money is being made in the stock market, especially in the best performing individual stocks, many of which we feature all the time here, including tonight. Three of them. But that's why I felt so fantastic after last night's interview with those two gents from Robinhood. They're at the vanguard of a rekindled interest in individual stocks. They're leveling the playing field. They're democratizing the process of owning pieces of companies. And the message is resonating with who? Yes, millennials. They've already got 10 million accounts up from 1 million a few years ago, which puts them in the same league as the major discount breakers, al- brokers. Albeit, of course, we know that it's less money. But, man, they're, they're just starting. And they're starting by owning stocks. I love this trend. I know that big money can be made owning stocks. I see it and hear about it every day, have all my life. These new investors are doing so well. They believe in buying what they know and putting the stocks away. They own index funds, but they know that individual stocks can coexist with an index portfolio. 
They'll do well only a piece of America, a piece of progress. You know what's best? These 10 million investors, they're willing to overlook the constant barrage of negative short-term news to do some long-term thinking and investing. And they're doing it at a relatively young age when they can afford to make back their losses if indeed something goes wrong, and it does. The bottom line, don't let the Armageddonists and the negativists and the hucksters scare you away from owning stocks. There are vast sums of money to be made here. And far too many people are missing out because they've been frightened away from the whole asset class. Do not sit on the sidelines. It's time to get on the field. It's time to get a piece of a great American company and let that CEO work for you. Cindy in Georgia, please. Cindy. Hi, Jim. Cindy, what's up? First of all, I I want to tell you that I love the show, HQ, and I wanted to ask you about something I spoke with you about about a month ago, which Mm -hmm. is do you feel positive about the future of Sage Therapeutics after the miss and the clinical trial results this morning? I had such high hopes, Cindy. Um, Major depression is just such a terrible thing, and um, it looks like that this... That Sage and I, you know, we, we, I, I was, it was just a sad thing. It looks like it's not working. A lot of us really felt that this was going to be the big breakthrough. We knew that they had great work on postpartum. Dr. Jeffrey Jones, Jonas had been on the show. It did not pan out. I would not sell at these prices, um, but it was a major blow. It really was. Let's go to Kevin in Florida. Kevin. Hey, Jim, from Naples, Florida, and a happy Action Alert member. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Thank you. In May, uh, along with the club, I bought Shopify for 250 and got out at 360 like you said, in August. Right. Uh, this past Monday, the, the network had that analyst on who talked about Thanksgiving Day weekend sales and how Shopify was up 25% yes. uh, same period. I, I am... Looking to get back in. Um, yeah, but, I, mean, I, I know. And, and look, I mean, I was doing this thing. I do this thing, uh, stocks versus stats for this uh, bull, bull market fantasy show that I do. And uh, Catherine Ross, who works with me, she was saying, OK, listen, we was going to have more yards, so-and-so or Shopify, and, because Shopify at 360. And I had to say, listen, Shopify is probably not done. Uh, did we, you know, we made money for action for club members. Uh, I should have got back in. Uh, I felt that there was going to be a revulsion of the high multiples, the zoom videos, you know, you know, and the octas, the companies I really like pager duty. And, and it turns out that there is a revulsion right now. So I think stay away from Shopify. Stay away. It's better than some of the ones I just mentioned. It turns out it's doing, but it's gotten too high. Jay in Colorado. Jay. Dr. Kramer, booyah. booyah hey man, I've been following you Don't for die. 15 years, TV, books, everything. I owe everything to you, and I can't thank you enough for all the things you've taught me over the years. I owe my entire style to you. So. Will you please call my wife? She's mad at me because I don't want to take the dogs out tonight. You can make I, this I thing right with her. I don't blame you, Kramer, seriously. Okay, so BYND, beyond... Um, so I'm following this, obviously. I've been averaging down. Right now, that thing is down 50% over the last 90 days. Yes. Um, it gets even better. The one-month RSI, you know, relative strength has now just dipped below that 30. So right. it's kind of like indicating an oversold. But then to boot, you got Costco, who just announced that they're going to be keeping, you know, uh, yeah, Beyond I Burger. Thought, Jay, I thought that was a very significant move by Costco because they are very concerned and care and quality conscious. I've done some business with them. They, all they ever care about is quality. And I felt that, that 
Ethan Brown is doing something really great here beyond. Here's my approach to beyond. You've got to think about it in a two, three, four, five year perspective because it's going to be too crazy. But they have a long term view. And I think that that vegans, vegetarians and non-vegetarians all like it. I'm not recommending stock, but I do think that you can own it for the long term. All right, guys, when we get these tips, you got to get off the sidelines. I, you know, don't put it all at once. You know, that's not the way I think. But there is money to be made. Lots of it. On Man Money Tonight, I found a winner in the tariff mitigation business. And it may surprise you. I'll reel the name just ahead. And it's one of the best performing stocks of 2019. But can Chipotle continue to kick it going into the new year? I mean, I got to tell you, it's burritos something. Uh, I sat down with the company's top executives at one of its New York City locations. It looks so good. I wanted a burrito breakfast bowl. They don't have and shares of service now jump 14% in November. So what's now? I'm talking with the brand new CEO and old friend of the show, Bill McDermott from SAP, to find out what's in store. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call. At 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a seventy-five dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney. Just go to Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As retail earnings season finally draws to a close, the trade war is really separating the wheat from the chaff. Buy, buy, don't buy. buy. Don't buy. I told you this industry is full of have and have nots, but now I'm thinking it's a little more complicated than that. 
really, we've got four levels to this. So let me take you through them, starting with the best and going to the worst. First, you've got the retailers that have such strong demand, they can simply raise prices to pass on the cost of the tariffs to you, the consumer. This is a pretty exclusive club. Last night, Five Below blew away the numbers and told us a great story about tariff mitigation. The rapidly expanding Philadelphia-based novelty store explained that its price increases more than offset the impact of the current or future China tariffs. Both. And that's how great their business is. Don't wonder the stock surged nearly 5% today, and it is not done going higher. Other than Five Below, I think Kramer Fave RH, the old restoration hardware, falls into this category. CEO Gary Friedman just talked to him when we were in San Francisco. He shot the lights out, which is why the stock pole vaulted 13% today on an amazing quarter. Even though RH still sources a lot of stuff from China, their customers don't really care about price. They only care about quality. Nobody goes bargain hunting at Restoration Hardware, least of all my wife. Below these two, now you got a second category that's good, but not as great. I'm talking about the larger retailers where the tariffs are NAF, not a factor. Target's the best at this. They told us that the tariffs would be de minimis, although Walmart and Amazon are also in the safe zone because they've got great scale. They can force their suppliers, even the Chinese, to eat the cost of Trump's import duties. Once we get to the third category, we're in the have-not territory. These are retailers that are somewhat at the mercy of the tariffs, certainly more than we expected. Uh, that's clearly Dollar Tree, hence the chaos in the conference call. They still do lots of business with China. They haven't found a way to mitigate the, chain, the uh, damage enough. You can't contrast that with Five Below. It's a chain where everything's supposed to be, what, five bucks or less? Yet they have a bunch of products they now sell for five fifty, as they told us on the show they would do, and they've gotten zero pushback from the customers. At the same time, they're opening a 10 Below spinoff, and that seems to be working. I can't help but wonder how hostage Costco, good numbers last night, might, they, how much they really might be. See, they're pretty cavalier about the tariffs, but why not? They can afford to be because they make so much money from membership fees. I worry about Home Depot. They said only about half of their inventory was mitigated, not enough to reassure us after an unusually sloppy quarter with not great execution and a stock that continues to go down. The hostage who's in the worst shape, sadly, it's a good stock, good company. It's Hasbro. Even though the stock is up nicely, Hasbro missed its most recent quarter. Management specifically called out the tariffs is one reason why. Everything, hey, that's the toy industry. They're all made in China. Wait a second. Last night, when we heard from the CEO of Mattel, he told us that they pretty much solved their China problem. I think that stock might be an enticing buy down here at 11 bucks and change. Finally, there's the fourth category. Oh, boy. The retailers that are so screwed up, the trade war is basically a non-story. Macy's performed so badly that nobody really cared about the tariffs. By the way, just this morning, they lost their great number two to a company called Tractor Supply, one of my favorites, but still, leaving Macy's for Tractor Supply. Mm. Same goes for the hapless Coles. China's the least of their problems. Just as Five Below and RH are so good that the tariffs don't matter, Macy's and Coles may be so troubled that the tariffs are a sideshow. For everybody else in retail, it's all about how they mitigate the damage. And now you can run any retail stock through that four-step prism to find out whether it's worth buying or just a hard pass. Stick with Kramer. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. John Ford sits down with NVIDIA CEO Jensen Wong and ServiceNow CEO Bill McDermott on the future of AI, live from ServiceNow's Knowledge 2024 conference in Vegas. Closing bell overtime, today for Eastern, CNBC. 
From the depths of a food safety scandal, this company is sizzling, and investors are placing their orders for burritos and shares. As consumer trust is restored, can Chipotle serve up returns for home gamers? A lot of exciting stuff on this show tonight. A lot of really good people have made a lot of money for you. Let's talk about one of 2019's biggest winners, though. Chipotle Mexican Grill. This company delivered a phenomenal turnaround out of nowhere. Its stock is now up 90% for the year, making Chipotle one of the five best performers in the S&P 500. Less than two years ago, the company brought in a new CEO, Brian Nickel from Taco Bell, and he's masterminded an incredible comeback. Invested heavily in technology for digital ordering and takeout to boost throughput, allowing each store to process more customers because the lines were so long. He rolled out a loyalty program and introduced exciting limited-time menu items like the delicious carne asada that have changed my life. Well, at least on Fridays. It's all working. Now, earlier today, I had a chance to sit down both with Brian Nickel, the CEO of Chipotle, and longtime guest Jack Hartung, the CFO. Take a look. Brian and Jack, you have engineered the fastest turnaround I have ever seen from the depths of a restaurant. How'd you do it? Well, uh, you know, what we started with, uh, first of all, was recognizing what's the core business to Chipotle, which is great ingredients, delicious food, and great people. And uh, we went to work on that. And uh, we put together a new team, uh, which I think are the right leaders. Uh, We built the right culture. And that's really driven all the way down into our restaurants, and I think that's why we are where we are today. And this man never lost faith, because I always no, thought. L- luckily, was- luckily, he stayed the, the course. And more importantly, he was he had he knew about the till. You knew how much money you had. You bought at precisely the right time. How did you know that the company's going to come back? You know, Tim, when I joined Chipotle in the early 2000s, it was a tiny little company, but I believed in what Chipotle stood for. I believed in the food ethos. I believed about how they were sourcing the food. I believed in real cooking. And I knew it led to a better eating experience, both in in terms of taste, in terms of health, and in terms of the environment as well. My job from the beginning was to make sure the economics worked. I didn't know we were going to go through the tough times, but I wanted to make sure that the economics worked so that we continue to buy this great food, continue to invest in great people. It just so happened that 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 financial strength that we built, we built a strong balance sheet. When we hit tough times, I I never lost faith in the brand. I just knew that at that time we were going to come out of it. Um, I believe we come out of it stronger than ever. So I want to make sure we took the balance sheet and use that to buy back our stock and make us stronger. And listen, it worked out. I mean, you can never predict exactly how it's going to work out. But uh, the financial strength ended up, you know, pay, paying off when, you know, the turnaround started. And it's how you get to be one of the top five S&P 500 names. And that's, look, if you guys were doing well, but the, weren't delivering the performance, the conversation's a little different. Sure. But you're at the top. Oh, so sure. it's empirical that you're doing it. You're, you guys are doing something I've not seen any restaurant be able to do. You're making money on delivery. You're making money on the Chipotle. You're making money on all the things, the convenient things, that are losing money for restaurants. How is it possible that you are actually expanding gross margins, doing things that are hurting gross margins for everybody else? You know, it's the fact is we have a uh, second line that we do all our digital and off-premise uh, orders. So the fact that this front line right here uh, doesn't get uh, bottlenecked as a result of, you know, all those occasions, delivery, digital ordering, uh, the Chipotle where you can pick it up now in your car. That all happens on a separate line. It comes from the same kitchen, gets made fresh to order, and it doesn't have to interfere with that in-store experience. And I think that is a huge advantage that we have, and that's really what we build from. A lot of people, I think, are always trying to figure out how you can have fresh, how it can travel well, how it is healthy, it is delicious, and how it's inexpensive. (laughs) What are you doing to keep the prices down that made it so people 
don't pay too much for the finest. You know, Jim, we started building the supply chain that, that was sourced around better ingredients in the early 2000s, before it was kind of a fashionable thing to do. So we were a small company back then, and at the time, we were building a supply chain to support our growth, and we made sure that we found efficiencies along the way in everything we do with the restaurants so we can afford these very fine ingredients. So it wasn't okay. something we started in the last year or two. It's, it's been in our heritage for a long, long, long time. So our economic model was built around this idea of sourcing fine food, doing all the cooking. So our crew's in here very early in the morning, well before the registers open. So we're investing in labor to make sure we can cook this delicious food. But our model was built around that when we were a very small company. We just made sure we kept that all along the way as we went from 50 stores to 100 to now over 2,500 restaurants. So that economic model, you know, is still the engine that drives this food ethos. Well, I, I think that one of the things that also helped is ownership. Uh, second, ethos. You came from a different business model, from Taco Bell. A lot of people also were skeptical that, well, wait a second, is that a cultural clash? How did you resolve the two now that you're almost in two years so that it was not something that people said, oh, that's heretical and it's going to hurt the culture of Chipotle? Look, I, I think I just took the time to understand the Chipotle business. And when you realize what's unique and special about Chipotle, those are the things you want to spend your time on. And company ownership and owning all the restaurants, you quickly realize we've got over 80,000 employees right. that make our concept, our experience terrific to people. And, you know, that was a big change. And uh, that was something, though, that I think is a huge asset because, as Jack just mentioned, you know, these folks are in here every morning prepping every morning to give people delicious food uh, and get them down the line really quickly. So, uh, you know, I've had opportunities to work in a lot of other businesses. Right. And you just have to understand what makes that business special, how do you make money in that business, and then make sure you got the right culture and the right people. And uh, I think you can figure out how to then drive that business accordingly. People tell me in an environment where we have sub-4% uh, employment, you can't get the right people. You can't get them at the right place. What is the difference with Chipotle versus the others where I think you are still getting the aspirational people who want to run their own store? You know, you have to believe in people, you have to invest in people, and then you, you have to have a purpose, and Chipotle has a purpose with, with our food ethos. So the people that come to Chipotle, very often they know about the food ethos and they want to be part of it. Sometimes they interview for a job and then they understand or they learn about the ethos, and it's like, wow, I want to be part of that. But then you have to invest in them. And we've invested in things like, first of all, we'll, we'll teach them how to work in a kitchen. We'll teach them how to run a business. We'll also invest in their education outside of Chipotle. And so you can get a debt-free, uh, full education, four-year degree at Chipotle. We invest in things like, like mental health and things like that. So we want to invest in the whole person because we know if we get the right people that believe in what we're doing and we invest in them, they're going to be great contributors for Chipotle for as long as they want to. Not everyone's going to have a career at Chipotle, right. but while they're here, we want them to feel like they're appreciated and that um, we're going to invest in them to make them a better whole person. I think we feel that as customers. We I think it. so, yeah. Uh, the investment extends to even the food chain, something you just announced that I think is so rigorous and so not what I call greenwash, meaning for show yeah. with farmers. Yeah, uh, thanks for bringing that up. We uh, announced that we're going to be supporting young farmers in a bigger way. And you know, if you want to end up with real, whole, nutritious food, animal welfare practices that are, you know, we believe the right way, uh, you have to invest in the young farmer. And unfortunately, uh, it's a tough, tough business to get started in, and it's only becoming harder and harder. So uh, I think we announced this just yesterday uh, that going forward we'll be doing grants for young farmers. We've always had a long-term relationship with uh, Nyman Ranch, uh, but it's, right. it, it's critical um, because when you see the difference between, I will call it like factory farming and a, a true uh, local community farm that's a part of you know, 
a family for a long time, you just see the difference in the way they approach the food, the way they approach their community, uh, and really the way they approach the planet. So uh, we believe it's a critical thing for us to support. If we want to stand for food with integrity, mm -hmm. then we have to support the supply chain that delivers food with integrity. Now, when you came in, you had to believe that given not just one, but two instances of, of food issues, which happened to a lot of companies, so let's not let's say it's Chipotle, did you really think it could turn that fast, that, that the American people would forget or the American people would love Chipotle so quickly that you get to double-digit same-store sales almost in, in your industry overnight? Yeah, look, it, it's definitely the results have come faster, but uh, what I definitely believe is the brand stood for something special, right? It's, as Jack mentioned, we have a purpose around cultivating a better world, food with integrity. I believe that's how people want to eat. That's how people will eat in the future. Uh, it was a matter then of just making sure we had all the right practices and processes in place to make the experience, you know, as safe, give people the confidence, the trust that they could count on Chipotle for every experience. And we now see the skill, one of the great skills you had at Taco Bell, you, one of the great promoters and advertisers, yeah. this new ad campaign. Is it yours and the new dishes? Are they yours? Yeah, you look, we are loving the behind-the-foil advertising. Uh, I think it gives people a real peek behind how you end up with great food like this. And, uh, and one of the things I love, I, I, I heard a comment on our most recent advertising of carne asada, where they're like... Which is how great. Oh, it's That's terrific. Amazing. It's terrific. I, I can't get enough of it, uh, literally. Uh, so, you know, the thing that's terrific about this is you literally see our guys putting the steak on the, on the plancha, right. and it happens right in front of you, and that's what we're showing in the advertising. That's how you end up with carne asada that's so tender, so juicy, so flavorful. Uh, so, yeah, look, it's, it's a real gift to have the opportunity to work on a company like Chipotle. But, and what's, for us, when we hear and want something like, like this, we're so afraid of lines, we're so afraid of delays, but you did really figure out throughput, right? You just figured it out better than anybody. Yeah, look, it's been in the DNA, right, Jack? Right. Um, I mean, Jack Chipotle. and I talked about the, yeah. Who we, came up with Chipotle? Well, that was well before me. Yeah, Jack that might have the insight on that. Genius. It was a chef. I mean, <laughs> a, a chef came up with that. that. That's why Chipotle has a strong food ethos. It, it wasn't a business guy. It wasn't a, listen, I'm a finance guy. I could never come up with food like this. It was a chef. The beauty of Chipotle, though, from the very beginning, it was customized food, exactly what you want along the line, but fast. And it's because, you know, you got to have great people. you got to have customers that that really they, they need to understand the line as well when they're in sync the line moves faster oh, than, cool. than lightning in, in, any other fast food company All right, just kind of a last weird one but right under here is what many people think is our, our favorite addition is avocado it had it had really just stymied everyone in the restaurant business I know Mexican how are you actually no longer making this to be the subject of the conference call well, look, fortunately, uh, the avocado crops are pretty robust uh, going forward. Right. But there's always going to be volatility. I mean, we're dealing with, you know, fruit and, uh, you know, hopefully... Fresh. Fresh, fresh, fresh fruit. fruit. And uh, hopefully it will stay uh, a plentiful uh, situation. But it is one of the things that we've got some volatility to deal with. You know, we're working with other countries, Peru, Colombia, et cetera, right. to see where else we can get avocados. But... We never want to compromise on the freshness and the tastiness of it. I'm going to leave it on the never compromise, because even in the depths, you told me you would never compromise and people right. would come back, and that's exactly what happened. That's Brian Nichol, the CEO, and Jack Hartung, the CFO. Congratulations, gentlemen, on this remarkable Thank turnaround. You. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Good to see you. Yeah, great to see you.
As I've been telling you all week, the Wall Street Fashion Show has turned against the cloud stocks, at least for the moment. And I think you're getting maybe the best chance this year to buy some of them. Take ServiceNow. That's the software as a service company that helps businesses automate all sorts of information technology, processes, back office jobs, and much more. Near the end of October, ServiceNow reported a strong quarter. Stock got hammered from 240 down to 220. A couple of days' time. Why? Well, I think some people felt leadership shakeup. Longtime CEO John Donahoe gets poached by Nike. So the company decided to bring in Bill McDermott, the fantastic CEO of SAP, the German enterprise software titan. I told you to buy service now then because bank is so Bill is so bankable. He's the best. And now the stock's back to 273, even though it's pulled back a little bit today. But, you know, again, the cloud stock's out of favor. Let's check in with Bill McDermott. He's the newly minted president and CEO of ServiceNow and a titan when he ran SAP. To get a sense of his vision for the company, Mr. McDermott, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you very much, Jim. Bill, it's an honor to have you. you, It's an honor to have you. My honor to be with you. Well, Bill, I'll tell you. I don't think anyone in the world is right is better right now for ServiceNow. You've got you, the Jim. best Rolodex. You. you got the clients. you got the knowledge. Thank you. So tell me, why do you want to do it? Jim, you said it best in your article yesterday. This era for digital transformation in the enterprise is the biggest growth opportunity of our time. It's that simple. And if you think about ServiceNow and what ServiceNow does, it creates immense experience value in these enterprises. It makes work work better for people. It's time for people to be happy when they go to work. They should feel the same enjoyment on their digital device at work as they do on Sunday afternoon when they're watching like the Eagles. I know. Okay. We do, we updating do. their financial information or reading articles. It's got to be simple. And we're going to bring simple to the world. But you're also going to bring a size and scale that even some of your fabulous co-workers have said in the time since you joined, and it's been a short time, yes. that you are a big-time guy. I'm talking about they've had a lot of great contracts, right. million dollars. You're a nine-figure guy. Right. You can bring in that kind of business for service now, don't you think? Absolutely. There's no doubt. This week, Jim, I've been to 25 different customers in eight different cities, and I listen to them, and I know what they want. They want to absolutely transform and digitize their business. The days of the 50-year cycle that's gone on where software can be put in enterprises, not properly activated, takes too long to get the value out of it, are over. It's all going to the cloud. It's all got to drive customer experience, employee experience, and shareholder value. There's no quicker way to get you there than ServiceNow. Because here's the idea. There's one public sector entity I met yesterday. They have 85 different systems. Now, Jim, if they're going to replace those systems and put new ones in, It'll be two decades from now before the work is done. We, ServiceNow, in a matter of weeks, will redesign the workflow on the ServiceNow platform and make an end-to-end vision happen, whereby, in this case, human capital management can now get managed on one clean portal, everything is mobile, and all the things from employee onboarding to self-service to managing their activities can be done in a simple, quick way. Okay, so Bill, we know over time, this started with onboarding and, and IT, and I mm-hmm. wish we had it so great, so easy. But you can take that platform in a million ways now, can't you? That's the big thing. Right. The beauty of this platform is 
It started out with IT. Right. And of course, it's the standard in the industry. Everybody, Everybody knows that. Right. But it goes into human capital management, customer service management. Think about financials. One of the CIOs today of a major bank said to me, I view it as my digital assistant. Of course, there's big transactional systems, but I need one that gives me my information on a dashboard, on my phone, so I can make decisions in real time. This is also true for governance, risk, compliance. Anything having to do with running a company, we can do it simple. Oh, but Bill, if I'm in any of these verticals in the cloud, and you got a guy who ran SAP, I mean, can't you train your guns on pretty much anybody? Because I know you're a competitor, but you're also a friend. Absolutely. But the big thing about ServiceNow, think of this, Jim. We are the platform of the platforms. We don't need anyone else to lose for us to win. We actually take the data from those platforms, aggregate it on our simple platform, and we create workflows across silos that make companies work, and they work together as teams. So now process simplification mm -hmm. in the cloud is as easy as point, click, and done. Well, okay, so I know I went to your unbelievable last confab, and they're legendary in New York, not just because of Sting, <laughs> but because of the greatest talks. And everybody's there, including competitors, yeah. because they, they respect and revere what you've done. Can you work with SAP to help grow? I mean, because you left on great terms. Of course I would. Um, SAP I consider to be a juggernaut in the enterprise application software space. I have 100,000 women and men that are my friends. Right. Nothing can change that. The other thing is there are even cloud um, companies that in some ways have overlap with us. I still will work with them. We should have a very healthy ecosystem in software and do what the customer wants us to do. One CIO told me today, Bill, we need you guys all to work together because in the end, there's plenty of room for everybody, but we need ServiceNow to be that enterprise layer of technology that makes processes and workflow simple. And that's what we do. Well, I would tell you, and I want people to know this, that there's a lot of times that people should be cooperating and collaborating, but they don't. Because they don't have a man like Bill McDermott who wants everybody to win. Yes. Everybody. That's exactly. the way since I met you, that's how you went, except for on Sundays. Right. When the <laughs> Eagles have to win. That is Bill McDermott, ServiceNow's newest president and CEO. And I've got to tell you, as great as this company's been, and I like it with Slubin, I like it with Donato, now is its time. Mad Money's back after the break. It is time! It's up in the light room, they wrote that rap course, one of the same stocks that my buddy's in the side, I only don't play, only don't play, only don't play, and then the lighting round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Got it, time for the lighting round, because everybody, I'm starting with Lewis in Ohio. Lewis! Taiwan Semiconductor. Good company, good company, but I prefer NVIDIA, or on this dip, Marvell Technologies. So now we go to John in Michigan. John! Hey, Jim, love the show. Just wanted to know what your thoughts about Gaslog Partners. I think that that dividend is suspect. I wouldn't touch it. Uh, let them come on air and explain to us how they have the cash flow to be able to do it, and I might be okay. How about let's go to Arnie in Florida. Arnie! Hey, Jim, big booyah from sunny Florida. There you go. I wish it was such a nice here. Take me down there. What's up? Listen, Jim, I've been watching uh, Bed Bath & Beyond for... 
BBBY, ever since that guy Mark Tritton came in, ever since John Duskin took hold of that situation and put some good board members on it. That stock, and yes, I am saying now from 13, and I'm not done. I like it. And that, even though I know Target's gunning for him, there's room for two. How about we go to Joe in New Jersey? Joe. Hello, Jim Kramer. Hey, Joe. Thank you for my call. Welcome. With its merger of Oratani Financial Corp., should I still hold on to Valley National Bank? Yeah, I mean, look, I know it's sleepy. Uh, you got the compound dividend. I thought if you go to 14, it hasn't done that. But it's a very good company, and it's in a gross state. Now, the problem, of course, is that the taxes in the state are so high that I think it's actually hurting Valley now. I mean it. Let's go to Johnny in North Carolina. Johnny! Hey, Jim. Happy holidays to you. Same. I was calling about Wendy's with all the health trends changing over over time. Is it going to be a good long-term bet? Well, I don't know. I mean, I understand that double super baconator does have a bit of a, let's say, a cholesterol uh, Lipitor faction to it. But here's the issue. They have a breakfast thing coming out. they got 20,000 new people coming. Their breakfast is going to be incredibly strong. You should buy Wendy's here ahead of the launch for the breakfast because it's going to be terrific. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Can the biggest winning stocks of 2019 keep up their momentum in 2020? Look at something like Edwards Life Sciences, longtime Kramer fave medical device maker that's revolutionized the treatment of heart disease with a non-invasive heart valve replacement that's taking market share all over the world. Here's a stock that's up roughly 60% for the year on top of terrific gains in 2017, 2018. Now, today, Edwards held its annual investor conference in New York City. And, you know, I really like the management's forecast. Fantastic deck, by the way. Wall Street, I don't know, a little tepid, down 1.3%. Look, don't read too much into the action. This is all about the fashion show. Edwards is exactly the kind of consistent grower that I want you in. It's the one investors lose interest every time they feel too confident about the global economy. The dips are to be bought, not sold. I think this remains a very compelling story. So why don't we take a closer look with Mike Musalem? He's the chairman and CEO of Edwards Life Science. Get a better read on where his company's headed. And Mr. Musalem, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Good to see you, Mike. How have you been? Good to see you. Now, he's going through all your presentations and having to speak to a prominent heart doctor you and I both know yeah. just recently. And he said, you know, you ought to just say, this is what Edwards does. They want people to live longer. You have that mission, isn't it? Yeah. And it's clear. Yep, it is simply clear. And really, that's what stimulates our team. We've got this fantastic team, and what turns them on more than anything else, yes, they have a nice job, nice pay, nice benefits, nice offices, but it's the fact that they have a mission that it's around helping patients, and helping patients is our life's work. That's the end of our credo, and that inspires people to do incredible things every I, day. I, I yeah. had the fortune to meet many of your team. That They have an ethos. It's, it's riddled throughout the place. It's just goodness. Oh, yeah, we're into it. We, yeah. get a, we have this rare opportunity because we make things like heart valves. We can actually have patients come back and meet the people that created their heart valve and so forth. And those kind of bonds and those interactions build... Uh, incredible sense of responsibility. At the beginning of the show today, I I talked about how people can see and know things, and it produces great stock ideas, but they have to know. Uh, My late dad was in a hospital in Pennsylvania, and his heart doctor was sensational. Mm -hmm. And he took me aside. I watched that man money. He said, I I like Edwards Life Science. I said, why? He goes, well, you know, right now we have to crack people's chests open. It's bad. They stay in the hospital. A lot of them don't make it. He said, you can use their thing, and you don't have to... 
cracked the chest cavity. I said, I said, so are you buying it? And he goes, no, I like some of those dot coms. <laughs> I like some of them. I mean, the fact is, is you revolutionized this industry, didn't you? Yeah, it's uh, spectacular. The procedure you're talking about, this transcatheter aortic valve replacement, right. is remarkable. So in the past, uh, when your aortic valve narrowed, right? So it gets circulating calcium and less blood came through. The only solution was opening the chest, stopping the heart. Now with the catheter procedure, so small hole in the upper thigh, in under an hour you can have your heart valve replaced. These folks are recovering very quickly. They're only a day or two in the hospital. Many are not even anesthetized. They're awake during the procedure. So it's it's truly miraculous for these patients. I know you've got some in your tremendous briefing today. Rehospitalization for heart failure one year very high for just the people who have that kind of surgery. And, and obviously the cost of the system. We always hear about how the system, no costs ever go down. And I'm looking at the person who's probably saved billions. Well, you know, that's, we call it the triple win. When you get one of these procedures, and we can't always do this in medical technology, lengthen lives, improve quality, and lower costs, now then you really have a winner. And that's what we have in transcatheter aortic valve. You continue to invent new products for what you call the largest underserved population of patients over 70. I mean, you're dealing with baby boomers who are desperate for the new things you're coming up with. So what are some of the things you're going to help us with? So uh, there's a there's some natural processes that just go on as we get older. And these uh, cardiovascular disease is generally a progressive disease. And so when you're older, things are going to go wrong. These structures of the heart, we call it structural heart disease. It's got a lot of different flavors for it. We're the ones that really focus on that. We make it our number one focus. It's the only thing that we feel like we need to do. There are so many unmet needs amongst these patients. Replacing their heart valves and repairing their heart valves are a big part of it. But whether it's holes in the heart or being able to reshape it, all those kind of things are those are what we focus on and think we can do make a difference on. And what's different today and tomorrow compared to the past is we expect to be able to do it with small catheters and do a little miracle on the tip of a catheter and have a quick recovery as opposed to what used to be open chest procedures. Well, when I read through, I felt like that the awareness is too small of the greatness. People still think it's the open chest procedure and they're going to be laid up for months. Uh, people don't understand, like, regurgitation, okay? It's an issue I've talked about with my doctors. I looked into your company. like, you know, this is no longer – these are no longer f- fatal illnesses because of what you guys are doing. How do we get the word out? Yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. And a matter of fact, the practice of medicine just generally changes slowly. It takes a while for this really to come into the atmosphere. We put a lot of energy into creating big evidence, right? Things right. that get published in New England Journal of Medicine and so forth. But still, it takes time. There's, it's sad today that so many patients, even ones with severe aortic stenosis or severe mitral regurgitation, do not seek treatment. And these treatments are getting quite good. And so we try and tell patients, look, you know, if, if you're feeling dizzy and so forth, see your doctor, go get an ultrasound, get diagnosed and get treated. It'll change your life. Do you think they're afraid that if they find out that they're worried that they'll die and not realize that maybe this is why they could live? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when we talk to patients, we do a lot of this. Uh, okay. they, they have, they're, they're not so much afraid of death. They want to make sure their quality of life is great. And they don't think they have an appreciation for the fact that these procedures now are pretty straightforward and put them on a very different path and they can go back to living the life that they want to and do the things that are important to them. Right, the stock's double since Mike was on the show last. I want you to look at the deck. It's really easy. You don't have 
to be a rocket scientist or a doctor to understand what these guys are doing. And there's also a terrific video about what their culture is like from when they started. Do all these things. That's Mike Musal. He's the chairman and CEO of Edwards Life Sciences, a remarkable company. Stick with Craig. Revulsion to these high multiple, high growth companies continues tonight, with Zoom Video reporting a good number and the stock getting just cracked, and PagerDuty reporting a not that great number and the stock just being annihilated. In the meantime, I want to caution you I like ServiceNow with Bill McDermott. You heard him speak earlier, and that is the kind of stock that is going to keep going down with these others, but you've got to buy into it. Because McDermott is going to make that company go to the very next level. I said that because I've watched this guy's career all my life. All I like said is always a bull market summer. I'm trying to find it just for you right here at Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently. At capella.edu.